You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Inside the Musicians Guild, as brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts. I'm your host, Steve Choi, and uh, once again, thanks for being here with me. You know, I can't deny the fact that I'm a sentimental fool, and I know many of you are as well. I'm always attempting to check myself, though, just to make sure I'm not having sort of retrospective delusions of grandeur because I feel like it's too easy for me to get too deep into nostalgic comforts. And I can't think of any stronger way to thwart your own progress as a human and or an artist. Uh, We all know how sad it is when somebody is constantly time traveling and trying to capture or live in the glory days, if you will. And I'm definitely not trying to uh, constantly put on the Letterman jacket, if you know what I mean, metaphorically speaking, because obviously I never actually had a Letterman jacket, but you know what I mean. But damn, it's so hard not to wax poetic about these insane stories and experiences that I still have a hard time believing actually happened, let alone uh, me being a part of. If we aren't getting faded or high rolling down memory lane or from rolling down memory lane, then how or why would I have the occasional affectionate smile for acting like a complete moron? This is one of the very, very few contexts in which I can say that the trope or cliche of ignorance being bliss may hold some truth. Because overall, I feel like ignorance is mostly harmful. And any sort of enjoyment or bliss that we experience from it is mostly superficial and doesn't really last long enough to be something significant or beneficial or substantial. So after thinking about this for a while, I think what I figured out is that I'm not pining for that time or who I got to be selectively as I was sort of realizing myself. I think uh, what my tear-inducing smile, like the one John Lithgow gives Harry at the end of the movie, is aimed at, is that feeling of freedom to enjoy things in a way that my ignorance afforded me. And although that ignorance and the enjoyment of things uh, predicated upon that ignorance certainly caused its fair share of problems, I do think that there is a lot of value in that way of enjoying times or uh, relationships or events that is worth something. And I have to give 
respect to that ignorance uh, in terms of it being a long-term failure uh, because failure is what really facilitates growth and kind of elevating our thoughts and our actions to higher and more effective levels. But what I really value the most, as I was saying, is that ability to be free and to enjoy things um, in a way that that ignorance allowed. To still be able to have that freedom and that carefree quality, that almost self-centered and selfish way of being as a realized self-aware adult uh, is a high art. It's almost impossible. To be able to be free and enjoy things in that way after becoming self-aware, even overly self-aware, and feeling the shame of mistakes and uh, regrets is a high art. I feel like if it was part of any system, it would be like at the highest, tippy-top, smallest point of the self-realization triangle of uh, Maslow's Pyramid. If you aren't a self-absorbed, entitled uh, butthead, and you can still sing like no one is listening, dance like nobody's watching, love like you've never been hurt, blah, 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 then you are far more advanced than me. Because I myself struggle with trying to do even a fraction of that, being self-aware and uh, wanting to be considerate, do all that. I know it's possible. I know people who have elevated their existence to this level, but for a weak-ass mind like me, it's a tall order. But, you know, I love difficult and almost impossible endeavors, you know, things like a musical career or, you know, a bunch of other things that I like to partake in, but I'll keep trying. I'll always keep plugging away at that because uh, it seems worthwhile as a lifelong practice. Sure does. I'm really trying to work up to be that old, old guy that lives like that. And I catch myself being able to do that in certain moments. But like, you know, a positive trend or a negative trend, like everything in life, it's temporary. And the work we do uh, is about making the temporary things less temporary or making the problematic things uh, less frequent, right? But I also take comfort in the fact that in the end, our motivations and our intent count for a lot. And it's a great way to connect with other humans that are like-minded. And no matter how different our origins or what we do or how we do things may be, those are the real uh, elements that are truly unifying. So I'm always trying to keep my head there and connect with people on that level, you know?
And so that brings us to this week's guest, a guitarist, musician, musical director by the name of Isaac Bolivar. He's someone that I go back with, like many of my guests. And uh, to speak to what I was just saying, you know, we do things pretty differently. We're into different things. We come from different places in perspective, but after chatting with him for this episode, I realized that a lot of our uh, intent and motivations are the same. And that's really unifying. Like me, Isaac comes from the Bay Area in Northern California and uh, has had a pretty diverse array of opportunities to send him on his path to end up wherever he is now. Everything from touring with Taking Back Sunday and Harry Hudson, as well as artists like Seal, and uh, the list goes on, as it does for many people. What I appreciate about Isaac is something that I really highly appreciate in most people, which is a, a significant sense of authenticity, like just being into what you're into and being unapologetic about it. I love it. And he carries a lot of that energy, especially in this conversation. Quite frankly, he's into a lot of stuff that's very different from what I'm into. But how he's into it and why he's into it, I feel like is very similar to me. And so, again, it's that motivation and intent that I really relate to. So on this uh, afternoon in May, we got to sit down and chat and we discuss everything from, you know, your unknown session players from famous artists and famous records making their own music, uh, our Bay Area beginnings and Isaac's origins. We talk about iMusiccast in Oakland our own innate levels of nostalgic indulgence. Uh, we talk about opening minds to technology, uh, getting to high vantage points on hikes to feel insignificant and small to calibrate our own gratitude. And we also talk about things like uh, the elements involved in having a very good day as a, a musician in Los Angeles in the year 2023. The vibe of this conversation is very much in line with a lot of what we do here at the Musicians Guild. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I hope you do too. So, it's enough of my babbling. Here's my conversation with Isaac Bolivar. So, Isaac, good to see you. Thanks for taking the time to be here. Appreciate yeah. it. Man. Thanks for having me on. How's your morning going so far? It's good. A bit more eventful than I had planned. I recently just got a gig yesterday, so just like uh, music directing. So it's a little bit of jump into the fire. Let's make it happen for a gig in a couple of days kind of thing. So, so what it's I thought a was brand new... 
sleepy brand week. new MD gig. Are you at liberty to talk about uh, for whom it might be? Yeah, it's um, this artist named Fouché, um, and I met her last night and had a really good time. And so just kind of taking her through how to be a one-man band, one-woman band, and how to feel comfortable in that role. So, um, yeah, so we're just going to meet up today. I just thought today was like an off day and until last night. So it's like, okay, get everything going, you know, back to work. So, yeah. And so is she a pop artist or is it something? I guess so. Yeah. Kind of in that like, um, Toro y moi, like, uh, Steve Lacey camp. So a little bit of left of center pop indie with majorly chill vibes then yeah but some some very um richter moments to startle people which is fun yeah that contrast is always good whenever i mean whatever genre you're doing you yeah know? yeah it's always about that contrast which yeah is crucial so it's fun um and so far, what is the scope of this MD gig look like? Is it a multi-piece band? Is it just you and the artist? Or what's the layout so far? So far, it's just me and the artist. And I'm trying to set her up for success so that she can run the rig by herself. She had a band before this, but just wanted to take it in a different direction. So she's like just doing a lot more um, homework to make the tracks redone in a new way and then have it all just be from her so just trying to do a new spin on it and not make it feel like it's just dj hit the next track kind of thing cool and by rig is that like an ableton rig for playback yeah and will you be also playing a utility man like guitar and keyboard or anything like that nope just setting her up which has been my role a lot more recently. Um, just kind of setting people up with as much knowledge and empowerment as I can and then ship them off so that they can kind of do the thing. Um, and then that leaves me free to stay home, which has been a big, <laughs> a big blessing. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm sure you miss playing on stage, but actually not having to run around and travel and do a lot of that other stressful stuff is, uh, is nice on the life. 100%. Yeah. That's legit. Um, what are you munching on? I see you snacking on something nice. My girlfriend was a sweetie and made me some toast. We got some butter. We got some jam. We got some dairy-free butter. Some Miyoko. Shout out Miyoko. Shout um, out Miyoko's. I eat the shit out of that shit. Yeah, that's the best. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just having a little late coffee and um, brekkie. I love it. This podcast is all about getting into people's like routines and details oh, okay. and all that stuff. So um, yeah. asking people about what they're eating or what they're doing or eating on the road is like a common feature Got it. here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're kind of about diving into the minutia of mm -hmm. what makes people tick and then like the working parts or like where the rubber hits the road for yeah. how musicians, uh, do whatever they do you know like getting mm -hmm. into the psychology of it so yeah um yeah i don't i haven't seen you or hung out with you probably in 10 years yeah 
just a quick Although, little cute hug at the um, Sounds of Animals show. Um, but yeah, yeah. will turn. Yeah, yeah, I got to hang with you for a moment, but as yeah. you know how shows go. An L.A. show? Yeah. Last time I actually spent like a couple hours with you, as I remember, is in New York. Yeah. On Long Island Long at Island. Looney Tunes when RX did that in-store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when I was living on Long Island. Yeah, but I think I've known you for a solid 22 years now. Whoa! (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. Because you're a fellow Bay Area musician. Yeah. You're from San Jose, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, Fremont, Pacifica, to be specific, but lived in San Jose for a long time, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So you've come from places all around the bay all around the bay yeah cool so what else i guess just kind of catching up like what else have you been up to musically well um i was doing a lot of gun for hire going on the road playing guitar keys ableton playback whatever it was for different people um i guess once i moved to la seven years ago or so um it's been like trying to do the one-man band for different people where some people would come from i've had a big band now i want to do it with just a computer how do i make that happen and so i was always the most excited about computers in any band i played with and would just kind of naturally do that and now i realized like oh there's a whole role for that you can be a music director or a playback engineer or all these different roles that I was like great that's exactly what I am into um so once I in like 2018 I started to tour so much doing that that I was flying back and forth to different places on days off and like just on the road almost exclusively and kind of crashed and 2019 and was like i don't ever want to go on tour again blah 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 and then careful what you wish for when pandemic happens so in that time i really tried to lock in learning playback and ableton and those sorts of things as well as doing a lot of internal work to make it so that i'm not scared to be out on the road anymore and have a lot more control of um my lifestyle and who i am when i'm on the road because i was kind of living the same 17 year old me every time I would go out on the road, just eat trash, sleep whenever, it's fine, I, I can do this forever kind of feeling. And um, and that really took a huge toll to where I had to fully stop and then um, started to kind of pick things back up when the world was opening a little more. But I requested, you know, anyone that was asking me, hey, do you want to step in and play an instrument? I was like, I don't, I'd love to be behind the scenes and just try to help people out but i i don't want to be in the on the stage at all um so i did that for a year or so and um really enjoyed it worked with um dominic fike and um a few other people during that time and then started to get the bug again and tegan and sarah asked me to come out and play guitar and so that was the first time in a while that i was just 
playing. I, you know, I was running playback, but it was kind of just easy start stop set up by an MD. So it was really just playing guitar, and that was really fun. And uh, I don't know, it was different. It was really cool to get to do that again. Um, but I learned how quickly I had to um, rest at home. Like I couldn't do it like I used to anymore, and just be gone for months at a time. So. Then when people started, hey, do you want to co-op for the year or something? Like, old me would have been so excited, and now I'm just like, I cannot. I <laughs> help in other ways. So that's why I've been trying to just set everyone up with what I would bring to the show, but just on a more zoomed-out level. Yeah, that's legit. I resonate with a lot of what you said, and I feel that it's cool. I mean, I know there's a lot more musicians like that, but it's still refreshing to hear a musician in L.A. doing like the, well, on the surface, what's easily viewed as like, quote unquote, the industry thing. But to approach it with a level of mindfulness, not just general mindfulness, but mindfulness towards like the our own well-being and how that's connected to the quality of not only our existence on Earth, but how we interact with music as a whole and what we're putting out you know so absolutely yeah i vibe with that heavily and i also you know i think every musician has to come to that point of reckoning as you mentioned about the lifestyle on the road or just the lifestyle in general mm -hmm. um it's either you change the program Mm -hmm. or you burn out or the program changes you. The program you know? changes you, yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, cool. So, I mean, you started talking about how your desire shifted from being on stage to kind of just facilitating that show for a lot of other people and enjoying making it happen and being behind the scenes. Yeah. But like me and our peers, you come from a stage-based, rock-based world as yep. your beginnings, yep. right? Mm -hmm. And so you and I are very similar where uh, for a portion or a significant portion or for whatever of our career, our thing was like being on stage, rocking out with the guitar, yep. you know? Yep. Mm -hmm. um, at this point where you're at now and all the things you've been talking about, how much of that that energy still lives inside of you do you still have a desire to like play 20 shows a year 50 or just four shows a year like what's the vibe no like in the in the 20 to 50 world is <clears throat> wonderful but not as practical so i find that most people don't want to just hire me for a month and if they do then i'm probably totally. gonna chat with them a little more so that we can make it happen but so whenever Whenever I can try to, you know, do a one-off or something like that. I recently also started a new band, um, which is called Now More Than Ever. Um, and that's with Tyson, who sings in All-American Rejects, and Scott, mm -hmm. who also plays keyboards with them. It started off as a, just a producer friend, hard drive band, and, and then eventually we're like, let's put out a record which led to like, let's play a show, even though we had never planned to play live, because I was also in that same mindset, you know, a couple years ago of just like, I'm not playing this. And we're like, good, let's just make it just a fun little side project. But then once we got on stage, it was like, yeah, this is really fun to, I haven't been in a band in such a long time, especially not like my own music. 
Um, and so once I got that kiss of life back in me, it felt like, oh yeah, this is what I've been missing. That sort of um, getting to tell my side of a story without any outside perspective. No one tells me what to play. It's just, I got to figure it out and do my own thing. And I really enjoyed that. It felt like I know who I am a lot more now. So, um, so in that kind of role, it's been really fun to see a couple one-offs come up with that band here and there. Um, but we've been saying no to like, go do the East West Coast tours and stuff. And we're just like, it's, it's, uh, it's not working for this right now. So I love the idea of getting to play with boundaries, but um, I love so much more the m making dreams come true. I like to see, it's, it's as fulfilling to me to see a show that I worked on watch the artist play, be in the crowd, and just watch everyone have a good time and see it all go well, that to me is as the same kind of rush as being on the stage. It gives me that same kind of battery recharge or whatever. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do it when it comes up, but I've been saying no to it a lot more, which has led to more of what I've been wanting to do, which is musically directing. That's legit. I also feel that. Um, so when you say something like, uh, I know myself a lot better and I've, I've done work towards, you know, like finding out where I'm at and doing all this stuff. Yeah. Is this just um, a matter of living like life and just experiencing all the bullshit or have you taken proactive steps in any sort of realm to kind of further facilitate that? Like for yeah. me, for example, my meditation and mindfulness practice has been like a instrumental in that aside from other things with like adjusting things about my lifestyle, whether it was like putting a stop to abusing pharmaceuticals and like whatever else. But like, I'm, yeah. I'm just curious as to like what that might be for someone like you. Yeah. Well, at the end of 2020, me and my then wife had broken up. And so that was a huge, paradigm shift for me where I realized that I'd never lived alone or been alone or really had a, I'd never addressed my codependency on another person and that I had really just put it from, to kind of take it into the real life. I had grown up in the church. That's where I learned how to play music, got my 10,000 hours, really had a community, but didn't agree with everything that I was learning so kind of went on tour at 16, found my new home and my community and family. Then when that stopped in 2020, I was like, oh my God, I've never really just like made it myself. I've never found that within. Um, I was always looking for external validation and those sorts of things and it bled into my relationships and um, you know, it, it fast forwarded a lot of things. And so during that was one of the hardest times I've ever gone through, just like looking at, you know, uh, what it what it is to be me and what that takes wasn't what I was putting into myself. So I wasn't giving myself space to um, have time to meditate or eat right or live right. So I really, at that point, whether I meant to or not, took about a year off of like being online. Um, I deleted Instagram. I meditated every day for a year and 
um, had some friends that were kind of on the same wave that were really helpful in just listening and a lot of books and a lot of a lot of things that I um, a lot of spirituality that I hadn't really looked into before because the word spirituality scared me and made me think of like oh yeah. it means Christianity or religion and those sorts of things and right, then once right. I realized like oh no this is exactly what I've been looking into and for it's just said differently um, that really resonated and filled the hole that I was trying to um, fill with touring or other people or things like that and so once that I mean I, I, I was at the point where I couldn't write music anymore I didn't want to play guitar like which was a weird state to be, you know, as a musician, you see the guitar there and it's like, when you don't want to play it, it's a weird feeling. Cause it's like, oh, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's how I express myself. That's a part of who I am. And I was so just like, no, don't, I can't, I, th nothing's coming to me. Like everything is just logic. There's no spirit to it. So once I started to feed the spirit and meditate um, and those sorts of, I don't know, the, the source started to flow back through me again and I could write again, I could play guitar, I could do these things that didn't feel like I was in my head the whole time. And so um, that was such a huge breakthrough for me where I was like, oh, it, it's not just, I need to do hard, work harder, try harder, do more. It's doing less, giving myself that space and um, learning yeah. how to just exist that brings forth everything else like it all makes sense it all starts to yeah. line up together yeah sometimes when you do so much of something like we have done of music and playing it's not about doing more as you said it's about doing less yeah and you know there's those cliches of like getting out of your own way and stuff but that's kind of like generalized yeah. for me specifically i don't know if you relate to this a lot of it was about uh, you mentioned external validation, you mentioned codependency, and to me those are things that all contribute to like this sort of psychological junk where we build up kind of like a hoarder's yard where, you know, we hold on to these artifacts of these things that were like, we believed were part of our being and our identity, but is yeah. really just attached to the part of the ego that's not like the base ego that like keeps us alive and yeah, tells yeah. us what's danger. It's just kind of like uh, essentially social constructs um, and how we just without taking a look at who we were and how we interfaced with the world kind of just said, well, this is how I deal with it. Yeah. I'm, I'm only as good as people think I am or, or whatever it is, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel that, I feel that too. It's something to be honest, like I had epiphanies, like moving that out of the way. And then you kind of spend a long period of time where you're like, Oh, I'm so free of that. But after a while, I didn't realize how, um, even with mindfulness practice and whatever self healing, like it, it'll still keep trying to creep back in. And it's still like a constant battle that you got to like deal with on the reg. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, n now it's just that I'm able to identify that that's a thing. Bingo. And now I have yeah. to work on it. Like it didn't fix it. It was just something's wrong. What is this? And I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not serving myself at all. I'm just people pleasing for everyone else and not putting that back into myself. So now I see when 
why do I feel so drained? What's going on? And I look at it and I'm like, oh, I'm not, not serving, I'm not serving myself, which is not helpful to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's just always, it'll always try and find a new way to like come back in. Whether, you know, True. for me, it's like yeah. thinking like, oh, I'm centered, I'm grounded, I'm cool. And then a situation comes up where I'm like, it makes me regress to my older self. And Test I feel it. the same sort of panic and anxiety. Yeah. And I'm just like, yo, what the fuck? Like, yeah. I thought I moved past this, but it's like foolish for me to think that I'll ever move past it. Like you said, it's all in the power of identifying it and having that space to be like, oh, it's happening again. Because yeah. we're not going to stop it from happening. We can only stop our response to it or yep. how we engage with it right yep it's just the responses yeah man i feel that so are you playing music on the daily is there this point you've reached where you're walking through the living room and you see your guitar you pick it up and pluck around a bit like on the regular and stuff yeah like now it's a lot more of not being afraid of the music that i enjoy which has always felt to me like I love like 90s soft rock, like so much, early 90s, late 80s, like, which to me had become like a trope, like yacht rock or different things like that. And I was <laughs> yeah. just like, man, that's, that sucks because I really do enjoy this, but it felt, it's not like a, it wasn't a cool thing to like. It wasn't f funny or rad. It was like strange. And so more recently it's become en vogue, which is cool, but I'm really trying to get to the bottom of like what I loved about that learning production methods or like mixing styles or what kind of reverbs people used and just like getting into that headspace because it feels like it's a, a an extinct art form like those big production records that I loved uh, the Mutt Langs, the David Fosters and all these producers that I look up to with you know five million dollar budgets or whatever it's there's something to that that I really miss in music and so I'm trying to identify those pieces without that huge budget and stuff but I that's the kind of music that I've been trying to create and make so rather than just sitting and playing with the guitar plugging a guitar into the effects that I like and like using the sound design that makes me happy feels like then it's moving towards that path rather than just like oh i'm just tinkering and noodling it's like no this is what it satisfies me is what i'm craving is like those sounds that kind of i don't know the way that running my guitar into three choruses feels i play differently rather than just like an acoustic guitar off the shelf i play totally. something totally different so just acknowledging that part has made playing so much more fun and like not being scared of someone being like, oh, it sounds 80s. It's like, it's in my blood. There's nothing I can do to like change who I am. So totally. not overthinking it and just kind of having fun with it has then led to people being like, oh, I want that sound in my record or on, you know, this show. So Yeah, I'm, I think people underestimate the power of hearing things differently like through effects and stuff as a way of inspiring you you know yeah it's like everybody expects like you can't not everybody all the time can just sit down with an acoustic guitar and think of a rock or like a trippy psychedelic it's like totally. you got to kind of put it into context yeah and it's one of the first things that i recommend to people when they're saying oh i'm suffering from writer's block or artists i've been working with in the studio especially things like 
synthesizers. A lot of people who don't have a lot of experience with synths, they'll talk to me and be like, you know, like, I just can't get the sounds I want and stuff. and Or like, it's not really moving me. And I'm like, my personal humble opinion is like, especially with analog synths, you need to at least have a solid drive, reverb, and delay just to start off with it. Like, don't even plug in a vintage analog synth yeah. without those three things at the ready, you know? And, it, and it's like, that's the thing is no one, even all these people, they plug in a DX7, they're like, it doesn't sound right. And it's like, well, right. the engineer ran it through tube pre's and reverbs and all this, exactly. all this magic. And then the producer, you know, all these things. It's like, it's not as inspiring. It is the vessel, but yeah, learning that I love to sound design as much as playing, maybe if not more, is like a big reveal I've had in the last couple of years that like you're saying it's just it brings inspiration back and then you can use what you know to like craft differently than just dry yeah and you know there are those exceptions i think there's certain analog synths like a juno a jupiter a poly 6 where you can just yeah. ride them dry it's gonna, and it's they'll gonna, sound gonna sound correct yeah. they're gonna be magnificent yeah. but even those if you mm -hmm. have a delay a reverb yeah and some you like tube harmonics that oh, really yeah. bring out the characteristics of the analog circuitry mm -hmm. you know that harmonic mm -hmm. distortion it's it's crucial yeah yeah uh -uh. no i really i've really started to let my freak flag fly and learn <laughs> about like all the 80s racks and stuff that the guitar players had there was something that i was always drawn to about that but i always just thought it was like those are ego things like just a big sick thing but now i'm realizing like they were running all their effects in parallel into a mixer and they weren't running into yeah. each other and like all these things i'm like nobody can still nobody can do that there's little companies here and there that are doing it for like one effect you know i saw that boss just put out like the eddie van halen yeah. delay and that's made for wet dry wet but that's the sound that i love all those session guitars in the 80s and 90s had these huge racks and now I understand why it's like you can get this magical sound that doesn't exist in the real world, like running three amps at the same time, but each one is doing a different task is like so special and creates as much magic as how I feel about like someone that just crafts a beautiful song. It's like the sound design is like, oh, it's so special. Yeah, it's something that I've felt deeply recently. Uh, Matt and I just started running helixes on stage and so we're you know oh yeah creating the um snapshot in you know for different songs and each one has two different amps yep. two different cabs different mic setups and stuff like that so yeah it's huge um yeah it's huge love that um, i've been a, i've been a big believer in the helix for a while so i i really love that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just so practical. And finally, the technology has caught up mm -hmm. with the sound quality. And now, for me, I say the only difference is I can tell a slight difference in just the response of the pickups mm -hmm. to the sound coming out. So what we were yeah. doing is running a direct line, but we still took the aux out and ran it to a cab live cool. just so we yep. could have that interplay, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, front of house engineer is not taking any of the it's cab fine. at all. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, earlier you mentioned late 80s, early 90s soft rock. Yeah. And now if we were to triangulate what your shit is, 
what would it be? Is it somewhere between Sade and later Yes, or or where is it at? Like hmm. you know, later Yes is getting closer. Sade, like there's people that I like because I like the artist, and then there's people that I like because of who played on their records. And so mm. yep. when when I mention all the session players, I don't say that lightly. Like that's the th my favorite part about a lot of these people, and. A huge reason why I might not go see an artist today is because someone already played the right parts on their records but they don't have that person play with them anymore and so it to me doesn't excite me in the same way so say uh, yeah like yes in the 80s or 90s coming in for like owner of a lonely heart or something like that like mm -hmm. a lot of people didn't like that sound. They're like, this is weird, it's pop. You're taking this progressive band and making it do like top 40. I've always loved that. I remember my dad being like, bro, that's corny. Like he was like, Chicago. I was showing him Chicago stuff that David Foster produced and he's like, yeah, but like, have you heard the real stuff from the 70s? And I was like, yes, but that's not, it doesn't hype me the same way. I love those like super glassy keyboards and all those sorts of things. And then I started to find out like, oh, like this guy Dan Huff played on all of these records that I liked and all these different artists or Robbie Buchanan played keyboards on all of them or all the guys in Toto played on all of these albums. And that's the stuff that I like is there. It felt to me almost like hearing musicians freestyle on a pop song with all of the right gear because they have like one or two takes, just go get it. And all of their choices and melodic tendencies and the way that they were inspired by the gear makes those songs to me. And I see them later and it's like, yeah, it's, it's cool, it's great, but it's not the same. And so that's why those specific times feel very special to me is because all the producers and everyone was into it. Like in Christian music, it was really soft, praise and worship but it, the guitar players always had like a pointy guitar and a wham yeah. bar and there's something cool to me about that when like metal and rock weren't taboo it was still okay pretty much until grunge hits when it was like it's okay to spend money and make your tone you know and eventually that peaks and there's a new guard but um that that whole time is so cool to me and I keep finding stuff that's got like gated reverb and something like that and I'll be like I bet you I just like the way this record sounds I'll hear something Earth Wind and Fire did in 91 and it's like yeah this is this is it this is the this is the sound Temptations in the in the early 90s yeah. or something like yeah, all yeah, these bands yeah. I'm like I loved what they did they've all existed for 20 years at this point and then they get to make pop music in the 80s and 90s that to me is like that was it that's that's as incredible as it can go <laughs> yeah there's i feel that because there's a special quality towards really competent and virtuous musicians mm -hmm. operating inside of more conventional boxes of pop music that get them to throw these sort of details in that are just so special because mm -hmm. it's not outward shredding. These are not complex chord progressions exactly. or crazy time signatures. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with 4-4. We're dealing with semi-standard arrangements of intro, yeah. A, B, pre-chorus, mm -hmm. A, B, pre-chorus, bridge, whatever it is. So they had to find other ways 
of like how they'll change a second pre-chorus or how they'll just change this riff and do those you know for musicians like us we love the it like the quincy jones it only happens once in the song type thing that's it yep yeah yeah and And that's uh, very special and yeah yeah that floats my boat man i get off on that shit too you know like i'm all about it and so you talking about that it makes me realize yeah yeah i love it when rippers are toning it down so that they yeah. can just have these little like a dolphin jumping out of the water like these little moments of just like doesn't have to be full all the time kind boom. of thing though i yeah. do like that it i love when it was in pop music and it's like so hard to teach i've realized all those people learned from somebody else and they sat watching sessions and they were like okay that's how you do it but it's not something you can just learn on youtube these days of like how to be a tasteful session musician or something it's like right there's so much that you have to know live you have to have gotten yelled at by a producer and like okay i, I won't make that okay i have to be tasteful with my you know all these different yeah. jedi trainings that they've had that then they put into a shaka khan record or something that is still played today and people are like why is this song so big still and it's like i think it's because all of the people involved were not playing with their ego they were all just servicing the song and yep. it made something so special and servicing the creative idea mm-hmm. you know um <clears throat> that's huge and for us you know it's kind of older now but making the last rx record that's really like where our head was at because we're mm. like how do we keep evolving yeah we're not going to evolve by playing more notes now and making things more complex how do we strip it down how do we get to what's vital and you know and I realize that it's kind of like uh, upper level of developing your musicianship when you're now thinking about how to strip things back and simplify them rather than how to add more, yep. you know? Yep. And once every musician turns that corner, you know, you know you're getting into like a more, I guess, experienced level, you know? Yep. And I loved the records that all those people made on the side too. like. Toto was all session musicians that were in J- Michael Jackson sessions or whatever that were like, yeah. hey, let's. Sh- why don't we just make a band? And so then hearing how far out some of those people could go while still making pop music was really fun. Um, and a lot of them are like smooth jazz artists or something like that. Yeah. And so I find myself going deeper and deeper into that where I'm like, well, what did that one keyboard player that made this song what did they what was their path and that's really fun to go down because i feel like that's um melodically and musically just feels so aligned to what i'm into that's legit and so where you're at now as to where you began how much um of that are connected because if i remember correctly was your first band in the bay area were you was it tragedy andy yeah yeah okay so you you got your start playing at iMusicCast like a lot of Bay Area musicians which was that venue in Oakland which was Mm -hmm. quite frankly way ahead of its time because it was like the first venue we knew of that started live streaming they were live streaming it's crazy just like and no we were already touring the country and no Mm -hmm. one had ever thought to do that yeah and it was so ahead of its time that even us were like yeah, whatever. Who's going to watch it? Like, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like On the know. internet? Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> like, also, but, because, you know, the quality was slightly, yeah, you know, I still mean, getting it, on its feet. But 
So at this moment, we experience some technical difficulties, but we pick right back up right about here. But anyway, before we got cut off, we were talking about iMusicCast yeah. and how um, ahead of its time it was, but we got on that subject because I was kind of getting into where you got your beginnings. Yeah. So how do you look back on that time playing in that band and being around that scene and, and yeah. that stuff? Like what, what, what are your thoughts on, on your, your history in that way? Well, like I said, grew up in the church. And so that was really me and my friends from church would always after that play music that we wanted to, which was like dream theater or like Slayer, whatever it was, just the most opposite of church music that you could find. Like we just wanted to, um, you know branch out and play and i was like i don't know what that is we never played out or toured or something like that so when the tragedy and you guys came to my high school um they were like we're looking for a guitar player um because Fozzie had just joined face in new york and so i i think i played right after them like acoustically just by myself because dashboard confessional was really big at the time and i was like i'll just be my own band um and they were like, dude, come on, you gotta, you gotta jump into this. <laughs> so I was like, cool, it seems fun. And um, they were impressed that I could like sing a three part harmony and all these things that I was like, huh, that's because this later I found out, I'm finding out more how much church kids, like you kind of learn to do everything and it's very normalized and you go into the world and it's like, oh, you can run a PowerPoint presenter and you can do like all these different things that you just had to learn for free that was just for granted um, and then they took me out to play shows and I really was like oh this is this is the thing that I'm looking for like this is this is that feeling but I'm you know 16 17 with guys that are 20 21 and stuff like that so they introduced me to a lot of different people and that scene they had a bit of a their own following as the band and so i met a lot of people through that we were doing all the play acoustic outside of the shows so getting to meet people i think that was maybe how we met and um so with that it took me into a whole different world that i didn't know about like warp tour and all this stuff like i didn't really go to many shows until like high school everything else was kind of like maybe a christian show here or there but i didn't realized that people were playing like that it just wasn't on my radar so i started going to iMusicCast shows seeing the matches or whoever was kind of the local band at the time and being like man that's it that's what i want to do and then finally when i'm at that playing it i was like this feels right like yes i want to continue on this journey so that was really how i got in my time touring and long van rides all over the country and up and down, mostly just up and down the coast, really, just not even all over the country, just like big trips down to Texas and up to Canada and just stuff where it's like l listening to music in the van and learning and hearing what everyone else is listening to at the time and then absorbing what I, um, what I do. And that shaped so much more of who I was, you know, at the time I was hearing like Mars Volta or Cody, Cody and Cambria and all of their like first records, people would be like, yo, have you heard this new stuff? And that blew my mind because before that, no one, it wasn't a really a way to sit down with someone and be like, listen to this music until you're sitting in a car with them. So I really found 
that community to be so magical like different friends you know you pick someone up on the road and they travel with you to a different city and they're pulling out their cds or whatever and it's like oh man i've learned so much and that yeah. really shaped what i loved about touring that camaraderie and that sharing of music was so powerful were you living in san jose during that time yeah living in fremont or yeah like all over the bay yeah. like i was saying um but yeah, that so was, you had some time on the 880 getting to the iMusic cast, so plenty of time to do all that listening. All the time, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, I would. I just remember sitting and listening to. All right, this is this album. I'll just listen to it all the way yeah. through. By the time I get there, yeah. So, are you like me, like a bit of a sentimental, nostalgic fool, where you look back on that fondly and you think about that semi or less, more than semi regularly? I am hyper nostalgic but i don't have that good of a memory so it's a lot of like i'll see a photo and it'll take me straight back to that but yeah. besides that i can't see it that clearly like in my head i definitely have rose colored glasses on for a lot of it where i'm just like oh man those were the days but it's like me eating just pizza and taco bell and you know showing up as soon as i you know loading in a big old roads or a full base thing upstairs you know just all this stuff where i'm like man it wasn't that glamorous but in my head it was the coolest thing that i could have ever done at the time so it was so magical to me um but now when i see people doing it i'm like i mm, mm, I, can't, I can't bring myself right. to that so i like see the nostalgia in a beautiful way where i'm like i'm so glad i got to grow up traveling the country for just to get to play music or all these different opportunities that I had to get to meet people or see different places. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a funny two way <laughs> to see it. Cause I also see the ways where I'm like, man, I see the bands that were more successful in what their paths were or what they were doing. And I was like, Oh, I never paid attention to like that promotion or graphic design or d these other things where I'm like, Oh, okay. I really just cared about playing and, playing on the stage and that was it so yeah i i can say the same thing exactly for rx which is you know we still had a structure around us but i'm like if we cared more about that i wonder yeah. what more we could have done because yeah. we were so not only didn't pay attention to that just for our youthful hubris and just yeah. being kind of like I mean, we didn't think we were, but quite honestly, just being narrow-minded younger musicians with a chip yeah. on our shoulder, how we were like anti so much of that. But yeah, um, you know, we take our paths and we end up where we end up. So yeah. And so, how was it? Must have been semi of a trip, and it might be a trip for you looking back on that. Where shortly after that, you spent a short amount of time playing some pretty damn large shows with your time touring and taking back Sunday. Yeah. Uh, playing second, second or third guitar or whatever it was, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. That, that blew my mind. That really did. I mean, my first show with them was bamboozle in New Jersey for Sick. whatever, however many people. And they, then they made a live album from that. So it's like, that was, how I first got into it. First plane ride to New York, let's let's go. And it, you know, I, I was like, this is it. Getting on the bus, you know, traveling on a plane, getting paid money, you know, just all these things where I was like, oh my God, this is, this feels 
like the magical thing, but then learning how important it is to have all the other humans aligned on some version of what's happening because it can be cool to do the gig, but if it's not fun after or, you know, while you're traveling together, then I mean, now I'm to the point where it's not worth it at all. Like no amount of money can put in for a a good or for a, a bad hang with people like 1000. Now I have boundaries set up, but at the time I was just, yes, I was just saying yes to anything and everything. And that yeah. led me down some really interesting paths, but I did get to, you know, share the stage with my heroes. You know, I grew up watching like Blink or Weezer and getting to play on the stage with them, like really did change my brain wiring where I was like, this is what like I love. I love to um, do this, I'll do this however I can, however I can continue this path. And like, it was short lived. So um, then once that happened, I was like, all right, let's, let's do the indie band thing. Like, let's go a full opposite of that style. Like no major labels, like let's just do it for the passion of it, uh, which is also really beautiful and exciting. And I learned so much more producing while not knowing that and learned about computers and all this stuff and Ableton. Um, and then once I moved to LA, realized how many of those things, like I said, are all chopped up into different roles that someone can do where they can just run a computer. I had no idea that anyone did that. I was like, oh, well, I play guitar, so I have to run the tracks and I have to play keyboards and I have to sing and then I have to make sure that the arrangements, you know, so. And is, are you referring to Happy Body? Uh, uh, yeah, that, that was really where... I started to be like, oh, I want to have an arpeggiated synth going in time with the band. How does that, no one else cared. It was just me being like, how do I figure that out? And I didn't know who to ask. And so I would, you know, I remember early days of the iPod, just running it out stereo, click on one side, music on the other. And then once I started to learn like, oh, you can have a computer talk to another computer. It can run time code together and all these things. It's like very, elementary concepts of MIDI and things like that that have been around for years, but knowing how to do it with, you know, GarageBand or Ableton or whatever I was using at the time, Reason. um, Yeah, it was just trial and error, just figuring out how to to make it happen. Um, And yeah, while I was doing that, like we didn't, with Happy Body, we didn't really have anybody else. It was just no producers like essentially we had an engineer when we were working with mark hudson where he was like doing everything he was engineering and mixing and mastering like took it all the way there but now i see how important it is to have someone in the room just to kind of be psychologist for the band like i never really had a producer in any of the bands that i played in i was always like I'd take that role to a certain degree or whoever I was working with, I'd kind of work with them to get the vision there. And um, same thing, I never saw a music director or anything. I didn't know that these roles existed because I didn't never saw anyone do it until I came to LA and I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's it, that's the thing. And then you can just do that was so <laughs> incredible too. Uh, yeah, yeah. When, I, when I came to LA, one of the first gigs that I got was with Seal, and that was the big um, shift as well, where I learned that 
because he had a big band before me and he was like I want to do it with just one person how do we how do we make it so that I can treat Ableton like a band I want to be able to slow down in the middle of a song I want to change keys whenever I want to I want to part to loop until I tell it to change I want to be able and so I was like I think Ableton can do this but I have to figure out how now so once I learned that and we went on the road and I'm playing guitar and keys and Ableton redundant rigs and all this stuff I started to like learn like oh this each one of these has its own place I can't really do everything I need someone else to take over these roles or I need to like learn how to pare it down because I get so caught up in possibilities of what can happen that it's sometimes not very practical and doesn't lead to a great result it's just kind of like doing a lot because it's able to be done and now I know a bit more of like streamlining things and yeah. how to get rigs done, you know, build a rig correctly and stuff like that. Before it was just plug in the laptop. I think this will work, you know. So yeah, just being Option around other people. Is real. Oh my god, so real. That's one of my biggest <laughs> enemies. Is like me too. Seeing everything that can be done and being like, I, I might as well not even start because there's so many ways that this could I be know. done. That's that's my thing too. I hate it. There's a thousand ways to do anything, which is what I really honestly appreciate about the design of the Helix system is that it really takes that concept and goes, we know you can have option paralysis. We know that there's a thousand ways to do the same thing. So here is our design way of like the most clear path to like get a sound, yep. to lay them out. And the way that design, to me, that's one of the greatest things about the Helix system, which... I'm sure is, you know, there's going to be commonalities with whether you're doing Neural or Helix yeah. or, or Kemper or whatever system you're using, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, um, they're all incredible, but finding the one that speaks to you, I think, is also important because someone might be like, I got a Helix and it's not cool. And it's like, well, maybe you want to try Neural. They are also incredible miracles of technology. Maybe yeah. that speaks to you. Like, don't just not you know i was early line six like the little red pod bean and just being yeah. like this rules like this i can just plug in like and a lot of people were like no it's not tube it's not cool like whatever and now people are starting to not know the difference or they'll hear a video and i saw the dude from jhs where he was like had an amp in all of his videos and then later he was like actually it was just a kemper i wasn't actually plugged into an amp and it's like whoa like it can it like at a certain point no one cares or knows and just finding what makes you happy like you're saying plugging into a cab no one knows they don't care that that's happening but you know and it it sparks that magic in you and keeps that flame going and that's i think the most important part yeah i mean we ourselves are converts anybody who knew us and our camp and our philosophy was all about analog natural and it was logic based. So as mm. soon as the tech got good enough where you couldn't tell the difference, we had no logical grounds to deny it because yeah. the design, the streamlining, and I mean, this shit straight up saves you money, not yeah. having to rent all this gear and backline and fly yeah. with so much. Like mm -hmm. we built fly rigs where we have a literally a 200 watt solid state powered class D amp on our pedal boards that we plug the helix into to run out of the cab or wh whatever else. And it's just like plug and play. And even helix, 
one of the greatest strengths that I didn't even think would be a strength actually is the relationship between the hardware and the software interface. Like the Helix software interface, I'm like, this is how it should always be laid out. It's just that it, the design is that good. It makes sense. And, it, and that's another one of those things where the more people that I meet out here on my quest to find those 80s, 90s legends and how they were playing, I talked to the guy from um, Rich from James Tyler Guitars, and mm -hmm. that was the big, a lot of the session guys would get their guitars modded by James Tyler and have all these switches and different kinds of things. And I'm like, I think there's something to that. There's some, there's some magic that people aren't talking about. Totally. And when I was speaking with him, he was like, oh, all these people from Oberheim started working at Line 6 around this time. People from James Tyler and all these people were, went to Line 6 and they created like the green delay pedal or like all these different pieces of gear that I'm like, no wonder it's like these geniuses are all coming together to create a, a common good and that's what we get it's like the bean like so many incredible minds came together to work on that but you have to like humble yourself and like dig deep and try to find the way that it works for you so yeah, yeah. I, I love it yeah you're, you're right mentioning those things because if we look at a timeline of like iconic and uh, paradigm changing pieces of hardware for the early aughts, the green delay line six unit, and then the purple modulation unit to me are like big ones. Yeah. I mean, uh, forever changing. Like those are still on a lot of reputable musicians pedal boards so much so that they remade the green delay pedal. Yep. Just now they beefed up the switches because everybody knows who had the green or the purple it's delay units. Smashing. The buttons were the first things mm -hmm. to go. Like yep. the hardware did not last. It was not actually <laughs> road ready. The, yeah. the green delay would maybe give you a few tours a year at tops, but then you yep. always had to replace it, you know? Some people had like two or three of them just on the board ready to go in case. Yeah. Yeah, and before that, the the first thing that put Line Six on the map was the little kidney shaped, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, the yeah. red. <laughs> yeah, was it the first pod? Right, it was the Line Six uh, yeah. pod, Generation mm -hmm. One. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, <laughs> yeah. Now that you mention it, it makes a lot of sense. And in the same way, now Behringer is doing the same thing with analog synths. I mean, these Behringer and and you, me, every musician that's been around long enough, Behringer was a laughing stock as a company. I mean, just the totally. most harsh sounding pre's, the most ghetto yeah. cheap boards, any like yep. DIY rundown punk venue is going to have a Behringer. They have or a the Mackie Behringer board. sitting there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it's already blown out and all that stuff. Yeah. And but for yeah. a lot of us, the only Behringer thing we would have in our studios was a headphone amp or something. <laughs> Dude, totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Yeah, but now with like the Poly D and all these other copies they're doing, I mean, you're getting literally the same sound. Just as I'm yeah. willing to put money, my own money down, that 99 out of 100 people would not be able to tell the difference between a Helix and a live amp recording. Yeah. I'll say the same with the Behringer synths. Totally. You, like, I really don't think you could... I'm willing to put money that 99 out of 100 people could not tell the difference between uh, the Poly D or it's a it's a mini Moog copy, right? Yeah, I think it is. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a Model D thing, 
and and the fact that they can be like now it's poly like that's yeah wild concept so we're, like, we're not only going to make it a fraction of the price of the moog yeah we're going to one up them yeah by making you able to play chords on it that's crazy yeah so yeah. I, I yeah i feel very lucky that we get to experience all this new technology and like it is pretty incredible to see where it's like oh man i never thought i'd get to just own some of this gear or you know get right. to play through some of these impulse responses and stuff and it's like oh yeah it's cost me three dollars online you know just stuff where it's like ah oh, exactly mm-hmm. you're like oh the poly d's 800 900 yeah. as opposed <laughs> yeah. to a mini mug which yeah. is five six yeah. g's you're yeah. like uh no totally it, it's a no-brainer right there yep. you know yep so that's cool man um so kind of shifting gears for you lately having discussed kind of where you're at with your career now mm-hmm. kind of discussing where you're at in your own headspace and and how you interface with existing as a human on earth like what's a really good day for you now like how does it start and how does it end like run us through like a good day for isaac being a professional do you still refer to yourself as a musician in general yeah or, yeah, yeah. yeah i I do because I feel like even if I'm music directing or running playback or something, I still am always doing it as a musician. I'm always trying to make things better for what I would want. You know, like I said, I never had a producer or a music director growing up and I wish, oh man, if someone was just like, Hey, chill out. Don't, don't play so many notes. It doesn't serve the song. Like just having an outside perspective is so important that cares about the music. So I love being a musician in any way, even if I'm just importing stems, I'm like still trying to do it in a way that will help the artist, help the music and help the audience to like connect and what it is. And um, a, a great day for me is waking up with gratitude, being grateful that I'm you know, living in LA that I have a place to live, like just basics, very, very basic things that I yeah. try to not take for granted because I see how quickly it could all go away, really. And you said um, it. and um, usually do a morning shower with some <laughs> soft rock music happening, gets me inspired, puts me into the, the zone. Love it. We get to do, we do a nice cup of coffee, we do a little bit of toast. Um, light and, breakfast nice. yeah a little light breakfast if i'm if i'm really on it i'm doing a little intermittent fasting but i've fallen off that that train a little bit lately um mm-hmm. and yeah getting to help to create while also problem solve makes such a great day where you know for today i'm trying to figure out how to integrate a bunch of music into one computer so that the artist can control the computer without it being like what am i doing why is this terrifying so i try to make everything super simplified and so all the parts that go into that are really fun for me where it's like how do i make it so that she can just press big easy dumb buttons so that there's no confusion like that's what i've always wanted but i have it on like okay i gotta press this key on the keyboard and these sorts and it's like no just here it is laid out you won't mess up so that you can not have to focus on that anymore and just have a good show so that to me is a great day when we do that and she's just like 
yeah, cool. I don't have to think about that anymore. It's already done. It's like, ah, oh, victory. Like that feels so good. I go to yeah, bed that night like, just feeling like, oh, charged up and like good. And then that makes me have a good night's sleep. And I wake up the next day feeling like refreshed. Awesome. And so what are some things outside of music that might be part of your really great day that you enjoy, whether it's uh, going to the movies or, or yeah. anything like that? Is there any any sort of features to your life in L.A. as a musician that are yeah. outside of music that really stoke you out? Getting to a high vantage point is really important to me. Um, nice. I Even where I'm living is like, on the higher level of an apartment complex just so I can have a view of the city. Um, and then as I read more things about like astrology and human design, there's a lot of parallels into that, into who I am, where I love having a bird's eye view of where I am. So that somehow helps to ground me, like seeing that puts things in perspective and it doesn't make everything feel so big. It makes me feel really small, which is really, um, I don't know, it, it, gives, it, it puts that gratitude back into me where I'm like, it, when I have that option paralysis and all that stuff, I'm like, wait, it's not, it's not that, it's not that big of a deal. Everything is okay. Like it's, right. yeah. it's not that serious. Like everything could be gone tomorrow. Like just, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm in a good way doing a hike, um, eating Ooh. well, eating clean, not having yep. a bunch of things that my body's allergic to like dairy or gluten and stuff like that thankfully la makes it a lot easier Ma la quite makes it easy now quite yeah. easy to 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 live that but i i now really notice when i don't do that like if i if i'm not eating oh, clean yeah. oh man i wake up feeling hungover and tired and messy and I'm like oh, okay that yeah i can't just play around anymore on that one thousand percent bro i was in mexico city a couple weeks ago just three sheets to the wind Going eating crazy. whatever yeah and i'm still recovering from it so. <laughs> yeah. but you said something really really legit and i've said the exact same words myself to myself and to others having this discussion which is i also really try to do as many things as possible to make myself feel small Mm. not small in a motivational speaker way. I mean, small as in literally we're in a giant universe like on a yeah. pretty big planet. That's still so tiny, it's so tiny in scope of the universe. Yeah. And man, that gives me so much freedom and space for my energy to actually generate, to be like, there's no pressure for anything. Nothing I do really matters. Mm -hmm. my, this podcast doesn't matter. My art doesn't matter. My music doesn't matter. Yeah. Whether there's two people that come to see my band or a thousand people, it doesn't matter. And yeah. it allows me to be so much more grateful and appreciative for whatever you get, you know? Mm -hmm. That's how yep. I process it. And I'm assuming you vibe with it the same way mm -hmm. if you, you know. Totally, you totally resonate on that. that. That's exactly what it is. It's like taking away that pressure so that then you can feel free to do whatever. And that's the creativity that draws people in. So it's like, when you let go of it, then all of a sudden, like you build it, they will come. And like when you build yourself into like just being who you are, free of expectations, free of like whatever getting in the way of yourself, like myself, I feel like that's when magically everything starts to work out and things start to go the way that I 
you know always dreams they would but it's totally everyday process for sure yeah um and it was counterintuitive to me at first because mm-hmm. i was didn't realize how uh my ego was cr- kind of creating this like shelter but this shelter wasn't good in that i had this fear about well what if it's looked at crappily like what if people think it's not good what if i look foolish and then just being like bro i am a foolish little nobody so it doesn't fucking matter like just make what you're gonna make like you're not important steve you know like it's, just do yeah what you're it's gonna hard do. It's, it is counterintuitive though but yeah. once you do it, then you like can see those little reminders and then you can try to remind yourself like, wait a second, it's, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah. And I was like, it was hard for me to grasp at first going, oh wait, the worst parts of my ego are what are putting all this fear and self doubt into my mind. Like that's nuts. Like I had no idea. I thought it was just protecting me and making sure that whatever I did was good. And I'm like, maybe it did for a certain period of time, but like a lot of things, they serve you for a period of time, but then stop serving you. And if you hold on to them beyond the point of like, if you hold on to them when they stop serving you, Mm -hmm. then they start to harm you. Whether it's beliefs or relationships or energies or whatever it is, you know? So yeah, uh, obviously you get that because you've, you've mentioned that in a few different aspects already. So it, yeah i'm i'm glad that you i feel very seen like right now i feel like you're you're on that same wave and it's cool to hear because there aren't many people that i just talk to about this you know on the regular it's just kind of like i get caught up in what's happening and i keep moving but to zoom out and kind of see that other people feel the same way is uh really helpful it is for me too, which is why, which, you know, I started this podcast during pandemic in the midst of about a year of having my worst uh, bout of uh, panic disorder that I've ever had. Mm. You know, like it, it was rendering me like totally disabled, couldn't even leave the house or anything like that. So uh, I realized that having these conversations with people to corroborate, commiserate, mm-hmm. you know, um, this sort of stuff was really therapeutic for me. And I appreciate getting to talk to somebody like you who's living it because, you know, you will encounter a lot of people that'll be like, yeah, I'm all about it. You know, like I meditate so hard or, or whatever. And they're kind of pulling it into this sort of like alpha proactive, yeah, you know, regular. Ego will try and to slip not, in however it can. Yeah. And I don't judge them for it. Sure. It's just kind of not how I'm trying to practice it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's not how I actually live with it you know so uh i too feel very seen getting to rap about this stuff with you you know and our semi sort of parallel but separate (laughs) journeys that yeah somehow sort of exist in the same universe yep you know yeah no um, it's great on that note, I would just like to say I really appreciate you taking the time to be here and wrap yeah, with man. us. Totally. Um, Thank our you. Our conversation is totally on brand because, like I said, this is a music-centric podcast for musicians and non-musicians, but it's really about getting into the real experience of being a musician outside of like crazy stories about people like, yeah, and then, you know, he barfed and then we did all this, you know, which is fun and entertaining too like i'm not knocking that but yeah um you know 
really emotional and intense people like me just、mm-hmm. need like something on a different level, and that's what I'm trying to cater to, you know,、yeah. with whoever's listening to this and stuff. So totally, as I knew you would be, you were a great guest, and thanks again for engaging. Uh, with so much presence and openness, I appreciate that. Ah,、oh, thanks, man. You too. I really appreciate it. It's great to get to chat with you. Hell yeah, bro. Hey you! Do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends Corey Pazin and Shavon Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're gonna get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, and you can listen at two. 2020-d.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.